Not allowing the very kitchen in our church that we seem to be at loggerheads and opposition to one another, but actually, you know, we have so much more in common, more in agreement with one another. And uh, we look to, to those times where we can come together as a church. And uh, I want to pick up a little bit about that this morning, about thinking what it means to be church. So this week is about thinking church, and next week is about talking church. And we are talking church, and we are talking about church. Um, but what do people see when they see the church? Do they see a building? Do they see a people? Um, do they see some odd things going on? I'm sure they do. But what would we like people to think about when they think about uh, us as a church or the church in general? What is our PR like? And uh, what are we doing to get a message of what we're about to the world around us? So what would we like people to see when they see us? And I've been thinking about this and how um, people are asking, well, what kind of church is Lighthouse? You know, what are we? And I've just come up with this, that Lighthouse are an expression of Christianity in our culture. We are an expression, just one expression of Christianity. But of course, it's more than that. We express Christ-like living. While we have to adapt, while we have to change, while we have to stay relevant and growing, while holding on to the vital message of being a Christ follower. What it means to be a Christ-like Christ follower. And looking at history and the early church and how the church began to spread there in the first couple of centuries, um, predominantly by Jewish people, um, beginning to celebrate Christ as the Messiah. But this Christianity began to spread through the Roman world, even though it was persecuted. It began to spread. And this new way of being, being like Christ, this new humanity, these new creatures, these new creations began to express the heart and the love of God for those around them. You see, something, well, no, everything changed at the cross. And suddenly we see these spirit-filled human beings demonstrating love, faith, purity, hope, in a way that was not possible before the cross. You see, the cross changed everything. Read Colossians 2 and 3, and I'll let you have a look at that. How Christ set us free from the power of our sinful selves. He set us free from the rulers and the dark forces and gave us freedom to be the people who we were supposed to be and using this freedom to live a different kind of life. And then what we do with this kind of life that we've been given, the second chance that he gave us at the cross, that new beginning. And how many people need a second chance every now and then? Third chance, fourth chance. God is a God that gives us new beginnings. But what do we do with the new life that he's given to us? And we have the writings of the apostles, the history books in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. And we have the letters of, of Paul and James and John and all these guys trying to express what it means to be this new humanity in, an earth, in, in earth, on earth. And questions like, how can we bring these people together? How can we express our unity? How can we express our love for one another in a practical way? And this is how you read there in Colossians 2 and 3, and it talks about there's a way to live. Now you have this freedom. 
And for many, the analogy of the body, bringing everyone together, working together, expressing what it means to be these new people. 1 Corinthians talks about this, of how we can work together, building this new community of Christ-like Christ followers. And we begin to build a, a, a sense of belonging. And I think that's something that is needed today, a sense of belonging, that you that there's something bigger going on here, that we can be of one heart and one mind, that we are that community, that not just in a tribal way that we are separating ourselves from others, but in an open and expansive way that we say, come and be part of something that God is doing and he's given us this freedom. He's set us free from darkness. He's given us his marvelous light. He's given us light within ourselves that we may shine so brightly that people may see See our good works and they may glorify God our Father in heaven. I tell you, there's some good things about being a Christian, a Christ-like Christ follower. And the need for unity today is so vital for our message that we can work together. And perhaps in our, in our charismatic, youthful zeal, we've kind of put down other expressions of Christianity. And I think maybe we need to repent of that. And repent means to change our thinking. That the body needs to start to come together as one. And putting aside maybe some of the things that would separate us and look for the things that would join us together, the important things, what it means to be Christ-like, what it means to follow Him. And first thing I want to talk about this morning as we come into unity, we need to grow in our maturity. And how we do that, we need to begin to think Christianly. Think Christianly about our Christianity. And to think means that we're able to mature. And there's an element of growth that comes from our thinking. And to think means to wrestle. It means to talk things over. It means to maybe speak out loud and vocalize our thoughts with a friend, with maybe someone who would challenge our ideas. To think means to listen to somebody that's different to you and maybe you don't agree with, but maybe that will just reinforce what you believe and maybe some of the things you've been thinking is wrong and you need to change that thinking and turn around and say, okay, well, this is the new humanity. This is the new way that we're going to think. And we're going to pray and we're going to chew things over, not in isolation. And my first example I want to look at is Jacob. Jacob's life was changed and transformed when he met God. And we know uh, from his name, it means deceiver or supplanter. And he spent most of his early life competing with his brother as a twin, uh, competing with his brother, trying to get the upper hand. And he would always use deception to try and get the upper hand. And I think that's probably not the best way to go about things. You know, if you're a liar and a deceiver, then, you know, and you twist everything just to get, ah, oh, come on, that's not the way to go. But the path he chose to try and deceive and uh, to the detriment of his older brother. But there was an encounter with God. There is an encounter with God and his struggle and his wrestling with God seemed to change everything. And when we begin to think properly, we begin to wrestle things, we begin to sort things out, we mean to, to come into an agreement. I spoke last week about the need for compromise. And someone said to me, compromise, that's such a bad word. We should never compromise. But actually, I looked it up in the Latin. It comes from a Latin word, and it's from two words. It means to come together with a promise. 
compromise, come together with a comp- compromise. And when you come into a, an, an agreement with somebody, it's, there's power in that agreement. Jesus would say this, when two or three of you are gathered and you agree, things get done. And if that means I have to come together with an agreement, with a promise, then I think that's a good idea, to come together with an agreement. And Jacob, we read this, is Genesis 32. You can have a read of the whole story if you like. But he's wrestling all night with the man of God, or God, depends on the translation you read. But he's wrestling, and Jacob prevails, pins down his assailant, says, what is your name? And won't let him go without a blessing. However, he touches his hip and he is changed forever. You know, he walked differently from that day. I tell you, an accounting, an account, an encountment with, is that the right word? An account, an encounter, my brain, switch on. An encounter with God changes the way you walk. I tell you, and if there's things you need to wrestle with, I'll read it here. He says, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be called Jacob. You will now be called Israel because you've wrestled with God and with people and you have won. You know, often we need to process things. Maybe we need to write them down. Maybe we need to speak out our thoughts when we're not sure what to say. But speaking them out can help us sort out what is random, what is coherent, coherent and to think properly, to think and to be able to ask questions. This is theology. This is what we are trying to discover, what it means, what God means to us. And we increase our knowledge and really establish what we believe. And it begins with the scripture. Maybe there's some scriptures that we can discuss together. Um, maybe there's some, the Word of God that we need to somehow kind of unpack and say, okay, well, what is this saying to me? Let me think about this properly. Let me wrestle with these things. Let me come to a point of understanding. And let God touch my life in a way that I'll never be the same again. And this begins by thinking properly. Getting into the Word of God, getting into prayer, times of of worship, and getting together with others in fellowship. I was talking to my friend Joe this week. He's our powerlifting, my powerlifting friend. And he says, you know, there's spiritual disciplines as well as there's physical disciplines. If you're going to be a a good powerlifter, there's three things you need. You need to train hard. You need to eat right. And you need to rest. And And it's like this the, the three-legged stool, isn't it? That if it's going to stand, it needs all three legs. And we think that with Christianity too. We need to get into prayer. And I would add to that worship. You know, I would add to that time fellowship, time and fellowship spent with God himself. And the other one, get into the Word of God. Get into the Scripture. What does that mean? It means that maybe you read a lot of it. Maybe you read a little of it. But maybe you get into it to the point that you say, do I believe this? Well, let me check my own life. You know, if you believe something, is because that's the way you live it. And you say, well, yes, I can say I believe, but actually, am I living the way I say I believe? Then do I really believe it? And that's kind of the wrestling that's going on there. And the third one is, is getting into fellowship with others. Fellowship with God, 
fellowship with others and having a grounding and a foundation in God's Word. That close relationship with God, that prayer and that fellowship time. Don't ever skip that time. And if that is some wrestling going on with God, then there's some changing of your thinking to line up with what God's thinking. That's the prayer we pray is let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Just as on earth, on heaven, let it be on earth as you have decided, as you have declared. Having that solid foundation in the word is a way to maturity, but not just knowledge for knowledge's sake, but knowledge in the sense that I'm going to put this word into action. I'm going to unpack what the scripture and what God is saying to me, and I'm going to apply it to my life today. You know, we're more than just those emotional beings with a spiritual experience, but spiritual experiences are important. We come to God and we feel his presence. We feel the anointing. We feel what God is doing to us. And we need times like that. We need that because we are emotional beings and we connect to God in an emotional way. But we need to connect to God in an intellectual way as well. You know, that our head and our heart is kind of coming together in the way that we walk out what God has called us to do. And we're not those who just switch off our brains you know, and blindly follow, but we are ones that know what we believe. We get the basics right, and then we want to grow and mature into uh, the mature, is growing into maturity is, is into the full stature of Jesus Christ. It's that how Christ is revealed in us and through us. Let's turn to Hebrews. Hebrews 3, uh, Hebrews 5 says it like this, and I'll read this to you. And it's, there's a frustration that's coming out in the writer of Hebrews that somehow people aren't getting it. You know, particularly they're coming to the point where what they're saying they believe isn't actually backed up by what they are doing. And he's getting frustrated with this. And he picks it up in verse 11 of Hebrews 5. He says, I have so much to say about this, but it's so hard to un." To explain to you because you are slow to understand. Understanding is where you take a piece of knowledge and it actually flourishes in your life. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it. How have you got it? Because I'm living it and I'm acting it out. He said, you now should be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the first lessons of God's message. You can hear this kind of frustration going on. You still need teaching that is like milk and you're not ready for the solid food. Anyone who lives on milk is still a baby and knows nothing about right teaching. But solid food is for those who've grown up. They are mature enough to know the difference between good and evil so that they can go on to grown-up teaching. Let's not go back over the beginning lessons that we learned about Christ. We should not again start teaching about faith in God and trusting in Him, about turning away from um, dead works or acts that lead to death. We should not return to teaching about baptism, about laying on of hands, about raising the dead, about eternal judgment, but we will go on to grown-up teaching if God allows. You know that... Baptism, laying on hands, raising the dead, eternal judgment. I mean, they are things you can need to unpack, aren't they? They're things that you need to read into and look on. But we need to know these things and be secure in these things. I want you to have the milk of God's word that you might grow, that Paul says to the church in Corinth. I gave you milk so you could easily digest it and thereby grow. 
But you see, there's more that you can dig into when it comes to the Word of God. There's meat to be had. And if you're mature and you're ready to, for the solid food, for the meat, that probably means you can hold a knife and fork and you can cut the meat for yourself. That's when you know you're ready to digest. And I think some of that, that cutting, you know, I know you're vegetarians, you know, you might be eating something else, that's fine. But, you know, there's, there's depth and of an understanding that God wants us to bring us into a place. And we need to keep in mind the things that we have known, that repentance from dead works, turning away from things that will not satisfy, that repentance, turning our hearts and our heads towards faith in God and away from the things that lead to hell and destruction. That repentance involves changing the way we think. That's what repentance means. We're not talking penance as in you're doing a, paying a penalty for your sin, but it's almost like you're rethinking something. To repent is to have hindsight, to look back and say, you know what, if I did it again, I would do it differently. That's repentance. And sometimes that comes with regret. And if you've ever regretted something in your life, that's the point you've gone the point of regret is that you learn not to do it again. That's the point. And you turn around and you think, okay, let's think about this properly. Where did I go wrong? To know where you went off track is to know where to go in the future. And regret is useful to stop us making the same mistakes over and over again. And we probably already know areas in our life that are lacking. We probably already know that there's a way that we should live. We probably already know that my life isn't as good and right as it should be. And I know it. And sometimes people can, can stand up and, or people can tell you everything that's wrong with you. And you can just feel rejected and downtrodden. And you can just feel like someone's ripped everything out. Because most of the time you actually know already the things you need to change. But it begins with changing your thinking. That's repentance. Repentance is what Jesus came to, to preach. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I love that song that we sang, is it heaven? And, and, and the, the way we're thinking is we want to bring heaven to earth. You know, and if by changing the way I think that I can bring heaven to earth, then I ought to change the way I think. You know, life can be heaven or hell, and I think that we can choose it. I think that we can, by the way we live, put ourselves in a place of heaven or a place of hell. And if I can change it, I can change it if I can change my thinking. And if you need to ask for forgiveness as part of that repentance, if you need to do it, then do it. Regret the what you've done and how you've done it, and then maybe you need to forgive yourself. And, and I think we come to that point where we realize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And to sin means to miss the mark. You know, and if we're honest with ourselves, there's places we've missed the mark. There's places that we've not been all that we should be. We know it, but we can change. But we can change. And I think sometimes we're opening up the scripture, we're opening up God's word for us, and we're beginning to see where we've gone wrong and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. And then let it go. And forgive yourself and let it go. And don't constantly torture yourself for your past mistakes, but move on and begin to think rightly about who you are in Christ. 
He says, once you were far off, once you were away from God, you were without hope, without Christ, but now you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all unrighteousness. I tell you, there's some good news. If we can just tap into that, we can let go of our past mistakes. We can learn from them. That's a big part of how you let go is you learn. And you say, I'm not going there again because I am a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's not I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, I think about these things all the time. The blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all unrighteousness. He has done it. And he is able to present me blameless and faultless in his presence with exceeding joy. He's able to do that because he's taken away the stain of my sin. And even though it was red as scarlet, he's washed me whiter than snow. And we need to believe these things, guys. We need to believe them and act, on, and act in a way that we are beginning to think Christianly about our Christianity, that we are beginning to act like these new humanity like we're called to be. And maybe we don't know everything at the moment. Maybe we've got questions. And I think that's an important thing of maturity, is to be able to ask questions. There was a musician, famous musician at, at Hillsong, um, and he talked about on his, on his Instagram why he's come away from faith and why he'd come out of that. Maybe he was in some kind of charismatic bubble and you're just supposed to blindly go along with it. But then he had questions and maybe he's maturing in his faith. And he's saying, well, what about this? What about that? And he had these questions like, what about science and faith? What about healing and miracles? What about suffering in the world? What about a God who loves them but sending four billion people to hell? You know, what are all these questions? And I think sometimes uh, we need to be honest and say, yes, I've got those questions too. And, and his frustration that he put on there was that nobody is talking about these tough questions. And I'm like, guys, we are talking about these things. There's top theologians. There's top apologists out there. If you come out of your, your bubble and begin to think about your Christianity, you'll soon realize that, that, that is it... Um, um, Lee Strobel has put together a book on miracles, attested miracles that God is doing. The information is, it's out there. And this thing about, you know, why would a loving God send four billion people to hell? Well, I read the scripture and it says, God so loved the world. And it's not God's will that any should perish, but all come to eternal life. You know, if you look at things in a certain way and you can be very blind to that and blinkered to that, and, and that's how we are maybe as human beings. We can read the Bi even the Bible with a certain mindset that we are closed to maybe thinking a little bit broader. But maybe we can open our ears and open our eyes and see that there is a loving God. And yes, he's given us free will. And then the question becomes, why, when there's such a loving God, would people choose to go their own way? Why would they choose to live a life hell-bound rather than heaven-bound when God has given his precious son, Jesus Christ, to die for their sins and to give them new life? Why would they want to live a life of hell when heaven 
is right here for them. The kingdom of God is right here. And that, that is, I think, a biggest challenge of us today, is getting this message out there. You know, what about science and faith? Well, you know, if you think, okay, well, science disproves your faith. Well, well, listen to the apologists. There's many out there that talk that, that Genesis talks about why God did these things. It's not a science book as in exactly how God did it. It's, it's why God is doing this. We are created in his image. He made us. He loved us. Something went wrong and, you know, we chose our own way. And that's the important message that needs to come from these things. And maybe we can have a bit more time, some time to discuss these things. Could God have made the world in six days? Absolutely, God can do anything. And I wouldn't discount the power of God. But could he have done it in six billion years or 60 billion years? Well, yes, he could have done that as well. But the point we want to make, the point we need to get across is that there is a loving God. He has made us in his image. He's created us equal. He's created us that he might lavish his love upon us, that we might be who we're supposed to be as, as his creation and Christ involved in creation and in recreation. I'll tell you, if I could go into some of more of these things, um, I'd, I'd love to do so. But these tough questions we shouldn't be afraid of. And maybe we come to that point where we're growing out of our simple Sunday school childlike faith. You know, Paul says, when I was a child, I thought childish things. And as an adult, I put those things away. He says, brothers and sisters, 1 Corinthians 14, 20, do not be children in your thinking, but be infants in evil, but by thinking be adults. I love listening to Alice when she was preaching the other day, and she said she was going to preach on Jonah and the whale. And I thought, wow, that's a perfect Sunday school story. And we know that story. But when she read that story as an adult, God began to speak to her in an amazing way. And she gets this amazing revelation of what God is calling her to. And it's like, okay, you've taken a very typical story that we know in Sunday school, but now you don't think of it that way as a child, but you think of it as an adult. And there's so much more depth that God has for us in that. And that maturity of faith means that we're looking that little bit deeper into how can I see what God is saying through the Scripture and how can I begin to apply that into my life? And how can I think about what it means to be the people of God? What can I think about it means to be a community of people and to build what God is building and to be that kingdom? to express that Christianity in a Christianly way. I want to close with this final point about what it means to be the church, what it means specifically to build the church. You know, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when we think church, we need to come out of the thinking of a building or a meeting place to a people, and that Christ himself is wanting to build us up, wants to give us that maturity. You say, well, isn't it the pastor's job? Shouldn't he be the one to, to, to build the church and to do all these things? Well, I think Jesus has a role. I think, um, well, Jesus has done his role, if you can call it a role. Uh, he died on the cross. He took God's wrath at our sin so that we might be reconciled to him that through his death that we might become partakers of God's household. So his death makes church possible. 
church means to be the ones who are called out. That's ecclesia. That's what the word means. The ones who are called out. And then Paul defines it a little bit more and he says, well, Jesus came to give gifts to the body or gifts to the church. Could you think of your pastor as someone who God has gifted to you as a people to help you, to build you up? And then he goes one step further and God is giving gifts to the church, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the prophets, to edify the body to do the work of the ministry. I see it as our role to stand up here and to challenge you to say, you're the ones that are going to be out there building the kingdom. You're the ones that are going to be out there bringing this Christianity, this new way of life to others around us. It seems the work of building up, the work of the church is then to be those people of God bringing a message of good news to a world that somebody needs it. And we need to grow up to maturity. We need to sort out a few things amongst us and have a proper discussion. We need to begin to think Christianly about our Christianity. We need to get into a place of growth and maturity. And that becomes our unity. And Jesus said, when people see your love for each other, that they will know that, this, that you are my disciples and this is a way to, to live. So we do need to challenge each other. Look at the hard subjects. Look at the difficult things. Not be afraid to look at the truth of Scripture and unpack that and pray together. And okay, maybe there's things that we don't agree on fully. Maybe there's things that we're challenged by. But we can be mature enough to say, I'm willing to hear and listen. And I'm willing to unpack some things and learn. And maybe I need to repent. Maybe I need to change the way I think. Maybe I need to do something to look back and I need to let go. And I need to begin to let God make his home in me. You know, we're called to be Christ-like Christ followers. Jesus called his disciples simple fishermen. Not simple, really. Not ordinary because they were extraordinary, weren't they? What God can do with the, what we call ordinary, God can make it extraordinary. I want to stand and close my times up and pray and pray, you know, pray. Pray is at its simplest form talking to God. At its more deeper level, maybe it's connecting on a heart-to-heart, transforming, transferring, transferring of information where we pour out our heart to God, where we take our wrestles and our struggles and our challenges and put them into the loving arms of Jesus Christ. And He, in exchange, pours out His love and allows us to let go of the mistakes of the past and to give us a new future. And He pours out His Holy Spirit in us And he makes us new creations. He makes us new beings. He gives us that fresh start. And he says, now take this to everyone that needs it. Heavenly Father, pour out your Holy Spirit more powerfully. More powerfully. Send your Holy Spirit upon us more powerfully. Lord, we need that that experience with you. We need that knowledge of you. We need that knowledge in a way that doesn't puff up with pride, but a way that allows us to be all you've called us to be. 
and help us sort out our differences. Help us to come together in unity and to be that one body, one mind, one heart, one Lord, one baptism, one Father who is over us all and in us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.